The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God, this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. Today is Tuesday, March 9th, 2021. On this day in 1994, the Irish Republican Army launched five mortar bombs at Heathrow Airport in London, England. The event was the first in a series of attacks meant to protest British rule in Northern Ireland. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a Spotify original from Parcast. Today we're covering the attacks on Heathrow Airport by the Irish Republican Army, or IRA. Let's go back to the City of London on the afternoon of March 9th, 1994. It was around 5.05 p.m. when Tom Roche, an employee at Sky Television, received a disturbing call. The man on the line gave Roche a bone-chilling message in a thick Irish accent. He said, quote, I won't be repeating this warning. In one hour's time, a large number of bombs will go off in Heathrow Airport. Clear all runways. Stop all flights. Sky Television wasn't the only one to receive the call. Six other news organizations got similar warnings, followed by an unspecified code word. Many suspected that the Irish Republican Army, a paramilitary terrorist organization, was to blame. They'd been responsible for hundreds of attacks on English soil, including bombings and assassinations, in an effort to end British rule in Northern Ireland. When Heathrow Airport's managing director, Mike Roberts, was informed, he brushed off the threat. They received thousands of intimidating messages each year, and this one seemed no different. He chose not to evacuate the 20,000 passengers awaiting their flights that evening. The police followed Roberts' lead. They kept the main thoroughways to the airport open, but they'd soon learn this was a huge mistake. At 5.57 p.m., the IRA followed through on their threats. Five homemade artillery weapons, known as mortar bombs, were launched onto the grounds of the airport. Two of them landed on Heathrow's busiest runways. By a twist of fate, none of these explosives detonated and nobody was injured. In fact, planes continued to take off for another 30 minutes after the attack. Reports of the failed assault reached the House of Commons within minutes. Members of Parliament had gathered that evening to vote on the Prevention of Terrorism Act. At the time, the IRA was high on a list of dangerous groups next to Al-Qaeda and the Islamic State. The legislation strived to outlaw these organizations. It would also allow suspected terrorists to be arrested, held without charge, and banned from entering the country. Home Secretary Michael Howard was certain that the IRA's attack on Heathrow was a deliberate message of contempt for the Prevention of Terrorism Act. 
Many believed this was the group's way of intimidating the British Parliament into conceding, but it only strengthened the government's resolve. That evening, the law was renewed. Back at Heathrow, police searched the area for the bombs and their point of origin. Witnesses told them about explosions and blazing cars in a nearby parking lot, which led officials to the scene of the crime. Parked at the Excelsior Hotel, about 300 yards from Heathrow's runways, was a mangled Nissan Micra. The explosives had been fired from a series of six-foot tubes extending from the hatchback of the vehicle. The force of the initial blast had been so powerful that it destroyed 10 other cars parked alongside it. Officials asserted that had these bombs detonated on the tarmac, the damage would have been devastating. That evening, travelers had gotten lucky, but the Queen was set to arrive the next day, and the IRA was only getting started. Coming up, two more days of destruction leave thousands of people stranded. You discover their practices, seek their advice, and let yourself become more vulnerable than ever before. They have the ability to heal what the doctors can't, or so they say. Hi listeners, it's Vanessa from the podcast series Cults. Be sure to check out our four-part special on Miracle Healers airing right now. Meet figures from around the world who claimed powers and pushed remedies, but harbored more sinister intentions. You don't want to miss it. And if you're looking for more episodes on the most radical and deadly groups in history, tune in to Cults every Tuesday. From Jim Jones and the People's Temple, to Charles Manson and the Manson family, to Keith Raniere and Nexium, you'll uncover the unscrupulous methods used to turn bright-eyed recruits into die-hard believers. Follow the Spotify original from Parcast, Cults, free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Now back to the story. On March 9, 1994, the IRA launched five mortar bombs at Heathrow Airport's runways. It was only the beginning of a five-day-long terror campaign. On Friday, March 11th, the IRA struck again at dawn. This time, they set off another four mortar bombs from a small forest on the outskirts of the airport. The attack was meant to disrupt Queen Elizabeth's arrival. She was due back from a tour of the Caribbean within that 24-hour time frame, but it was unsuccessful. Not only was the timing off, but once again, the mortars failed to explode. Her Majesty's flight landed as planned, while investigators continued searching for the culprits. On Sunday, March 13th, at around 8 a.m., the IRA staged their third attack on Heathrow. This time, three of the shells hit the tarmac, one landing only 150 feet from an outbound aircraft. But like the previous bombings, none of the mortars exploded. Officials were beginning to suspect that the IRA was firing duds intentionally. It appeared their efforts were to instill fear, not to claim innocent lives. Others wondered whether a double agent working for the IRA had tampered with the bombs and disarmed them before they were launched. Either way, the group was proving their point. They were able to strike repeatedly at one of the world's busiest destinations undeterred. 
It wasn't until the third attack that city officials started to take the threats seriously. Heathrow and the nearby Gatwick Airport were finally closed, rerouting dozens of incoming flights. Police shut down all roadways surrounding the properties as well. The army patrolled the area with dogs and heat-seeking devices to detect additional mortar launchers. After hours of searching, authorities found a series of four-foot-deep holes dug into a pasture. The pits were located 80 feet south of Heathrow, each home to a mortar launcher connected to an unmanned timing device. It appeared the legwork had been done days before. If officials had taken the threats seriously after March 9th, they might have been able to avoid the subsequent panic. That same day, the leader of the IRA's political branch, Jerry Adams, was interviewed on a Dublin radio show. He defended the attacks on the airport, stating, quote, Every so often there will be something spectacular to remind the outside world that the tragic signs of conflict are ongoing, end quote. This was certainly not the first nor the last time that the IRA would try and assert their dominance over Great Britain. However, in October 1994, the government temporarily gained the upper hand. Police raided the homes of two IRA members believed to be connected to the March bombings at Heathrow. The suspects were detained under the laws of the Prevention of Terrorism Act, the same measure the group was hoping to obstruct. It's not entirely clear what became of the suspects, but their arrests undeniably added fuel to the IRA's fire. In 2012, the organization's most radical members established the new IRA, forming the most dangerous iteration of the group to date. In 2019 alone, the new IRA shot and killed a 29-year-old journalist while she was covering the riots in Northern Ireland. They planted explosives at Waterloo Station and City Airport in London, and they bombed a courthouse in Derry, Ireland. As long as Northern Ireland remains a part of the UK, it seems the conflict will not stop entirely. Derivative organizations like the new IRA are a reminder that these independent groups are still radical in their beliefs of a unified Ireland. Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Today in True Crime is a Spotify original from Parcast. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Juan Borda, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Bruce Katovich. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Lori Gottlieb, with writing assistance by Terrell Wells, and fact-checking by Cheyenne Lopez. I'm Vanessa Richardson. 